You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're glad you're here. If you'd like to learn more about our church or want to know how to get involved, visit kingscross.org. We pray that as you listen, you experience the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's so great. If you don't know me, uh, my name's Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to be in Galatians 2. If you want to grab a Bible and turn there, Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we do still have right out the doors on the counter on your left a few more of the Galatians scripture journals. We're going to be in this series uh, for several more weeks. And so if you want to grab one of those, they are there. Uh, before we get going, I want to just take a, a little bit of time to celebrate a couple of things uh, and talk about a couple of things. First of all, you got some of these invite cards on your seat when you came in. Um, that is a good reminder for you that on Easter Sunday, which is the last Sunday in March, we're going to have three services, not two. And so 8, 9, 30, and 11. So it's a good reminder for you about the, um, about the service time change. But also, we have like a thousand of these. And so if you know people who might be close to you but far from God, maybe they're new to town, they haven't found a church yet, uh, maybe you, you know, where, wherever they, they might be, this is a, a great little invite card just to say, hey, would love for you to join me on Easter. Here's the service I'm going to. There's a map on the back so folks aren't quite sure where we are. So uh, take as many of these as you'll give away. Uh, don't be weird and like throw them out your window at people on the bus stop or something like that. But if you'll do a personal invite, uh, take as many of these as you'd be willing to give away. Also, uh, we're going to talk more about this here in a minute, but you'll notice when you came in, there's a bunch of tables in the lobby that are highlighting some of our ministry partners, some of our local outreach opportunities, and some international missions opportunities that we have. Um, some of you all know that we have had a fund um, set up, uh, uh, a, a designated fund set up to help support our missions council uh, for a few months now. We haven't really talked about it publicly, but it's called the Acts 1-8 Missions Fund. And here's what Acts 1-8 says, right before Jesus' ascension, and he says to his followers, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jerusalem is like their town. Judea is more like their tri-county area. Uh, Samaria was more like the low country and the ends of the earth or uh, pretty self-evident. And so um, if you would like to give to directly to support the work that we are doing locally, uh, nationally, and internationally, the Acts 1-8 Fund is a giving option there on the drop-down box. Every penny of that money goes directly to the work that the Missions Council is leading us in in one of those partnerships, local outreach, or international ministries. And so some of you may have a particular heart for that, uh, and you want to think about that. Maybe you've got a tax return coming in. You've been praying about what to do with it. Uh, right now, our missions council budget, just because of the kind of the age we are as a church, is much lower than we would like for it to be. And the Acts 1-8 fund is a way that we can fuel what it is that we're doing together missionally as a church. Uh, so I want to make you aware of that and encourage you to give to that as the Lord leads. Uh, also, I don't know if you have noticed this or not, but um, we are growing and we're growing rapidly. Uh, if you check in a young person that's kind of ages birth to fourth grade over in King's Cross Kids, you know that we are rapidly running out of room in uh, KCK. We average about one kid for every two and a half adults 
at King's Cross. We are packed with young families. And that's great. Praise the Lord for that. That's the part of the city that God's put us in. That's what we expected when we planted the church. Um, but so you can just kind of see, like right now, our toddler room, both services is just jammed out, right? Like so it's a bunch of COVID babies. I don't know what other people were doing. <laughs> Some of y'all loved working at home, right? <laughs> Can we go back to church online those Sunday mornings? So praise God for that. You know, those, we'll have a robust high school ministry. So, um, but we're doing a couple things to address that. Um, and we, we need those environments to be both safe and for the ministry in those environments to not be uh, hindered in any way. So we're already doing a couple of things in the second service. We move our third and fourth graders over to the workroom uh, to make a little bit of extra room in elementary. We've got a couple things that uh, we're talking about doing to the physical rooms themselves to switch things up so we can be a little more flexible over there between hours and grades. And so some of the rooms that your little ones are in may start to be um, a little bit of a different room. So we're doing everything that we can with the square footage that we have. But there are two things that I, I need everybody who calls King's Cross home, I need your help with. One is, um, if you would begin thinking and praying about what's next for our building, we, um, at some point, facilities are just tools that facilitate ministry, but at some point, if your tool isn't sharp enough, the job's harder right? And so um, probably later this year, we're going to start having conversations about what does it look like for us to keep growing? Do we want to turn people away who are trying to hear the gospel and learn about the Lord? Or are we going to figure out what to do? And I don't know exactly what that looks like, but uh, I would much rather there be 350 of us praying than three or four of us praying. Amen? So, so would you just begin thinking and praying uh, about that? If, if we're going to keep reaching people with the gospel, and we are, um, <laughs> or, yeah, we are. Okay, I started to say something snarky about me being the pastor here. But um, if we're going to keep reaching people for the gospel, we've got to figure out something. Because we're just running out of places for people to, uh, to, to stay in. Second, um, you'll, this doesn't really apply to you because you're in the first service. But some of you may only be in here because of the stuff we have going on in the lobby. We need about 30 people to move from the second service to the first service, from 1030 to 9. Right, most of our first-time guests come to the second service. Uh, we have a lot of our young, young families, not so much elementary age, but like our really uh, families with really young kids. Man, 9 o'clock's hard. Uh, some of you know that. You've raised little ones, and like, you know, getting out, it's just you, you can either love the Lord or be here at 9, but not both, right? Um, and so we understand, we totally understand that, but there are some people who have the flexibility to move from 9 to 10.30 to make room, and um, again, most of you are already here, but if, if that's you or maybe you're listening, like, uh, I need about 30 people to move for the mission. Uh, we just got to level the services out a little bit and relieve a little bit of KCK, but it'll also make some room uh, in here. We are right up um, at the edge of the 1030 service being able to handle literally anybody else. Um, so if you have the flexibility to do that, um, would you please think about that? That conversation that we're going to have to have about children's space um, will almost certainly will need to include um, how are we going to get a bigger sanctuary so more of us can meet at one time and the people that you're inviting to come and hear about Jesus have space. Um, and we are also very aware that um, there are a lot of us that want to have middle school ministry space dedicated on Sunday morning. Um, it just makes you know, reaching families with uh, with 
uh, middle school age kids easier. And so those conversations will all be uh, rolled in. But for now, I need about 30 folks to move from uh, the next service into this service. Uh, and so please think about that or, or pray about that. And if you see some folks coming in that don't normally sit around you, introduce yourself. It may be that they've been part of the family for two years and you just haven't met them. Um, or it may be that they're brand new. So, okay, Galatians 2. Uh, Galatians 2. In chapter 1 of Galatians 2, we were introduced to this kind of common problem among the churches in Galatia, modern-day southern Turkey. In chapter 2, we get a little more insight into the specifics of what is that problem. And we find out that there are these false teachers. They have come in after Paul and Barnabas planted the churches, and they have started twisting the gospel. So we knew that from chapter 1. In chapter 2, what we find out is these agitators are really saying that salvation required both faith in Jesus and uh, adherence to the fullness of the Old Testament law, the, the ceremonial and civil law, in addition to just the moral law that God had given to his people. And so they were basically saying, in order for you to be a Christian, you have to become Jewish first. That's the pathway. Now, they didn't think all Jews were Christians, but they did think, they didn't think all Jews believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they did think that if you do believe that, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, the pathway to that is that you have to also become Jewish first. You have to adhere to the Jewish ceremonial law, dietary restrictions, circumcision, cleanliness regulations, these types of things. So they preached Jesus plus the law equals salvation. You with me? This is the problem in Galatia. Paul preached, and the apostles preached, and the early church preached, and at King's Cross we preach that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, with nothing else added to it. And to Paul, the difference in those two things is the difference between slavery and freedom. Slavery to the works and the demands of the law, which you can never keep. Because if you could, you wouldn't need a Savior, you'd be the Savior. Or freedom that comes from faith in Christ who perfectly kept the law in our place, who died and was raised again so that all who believe in him might have his perfect, obedient righteousness counted as theirs. And so as chapter 2 begins, Paul is going to argue that he and the apostles in Jerusalem are Believing and preaching and teaching the same gospel, the same faith. And as he does so, what we see in the example that is set by Paul and primarily Peter, James, and John, but by extension, uh, the fullness of the apostles in Jerusalem, what we see is four characteristics of people in churches set free by the gospel. Four characteristics of people in churches set free by the gospel. Galatians 2, verses 1 and 2. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential. That's almost certainly Peter, James, and John. The gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. First characteristic of people in churches set free by the gospel is patient urgency. Patient urgency. Paul says it's been 14 
years since Jesus saved him and called him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And at the end of chapter 1, he had gone to Arabia uh, to do that. And by the way, if you're, uh, if you're reading through Galatians with us, this 14 years uh, almost certainly is inclusive of the three years he mentions up in uh, verse 18 of Galatians 1. So um, it, it's been 14 years since that started happening. Scholars tell us that when Paul says he went up with Barnabas, it almost certainly implies that Barnabas is still in the lead role on the missionary church planting team. So it's been 14 years and Paul is still second chair, still co-pilot. 14 years, he's still the assistant to the regional manager, right? He says, 14 years, and as an act of gospel unity, to make sure that they aren't running in vain. Now, Paul doesn't question the gospel that they're preaching, but he wants to make sure it's not going to be undone. It is worth the time and expense to them to go to Jerusalem and make sure that there's not a division forming between followers of Jesus who are Gentile and followers of Jesus who are ethnically Jewish. There's not a split in the church happening. I'll be honest. <laughs> if this was me and somebody said, you know what we should do? We should go up to Jerusalem and have a conversation with the fellows and just make it. I don't have time for that. I don't, have time, I don't have to deal with this nonsense because other people are circulating like we, Jesus has called us. He has placed us here. There's fruit happening in the ministry. Why do I have to take time to do? I would, I would not have done that willingly, I don't think. Y'all, we are seven and a half years old as a church. And if I can be honest with you, like I struggle with feeling behind. Ministry is my second career. I'm older than most of my peers who are at the kind of same length into ministry. I constantly feel about 10 years behind. On top of that, I struggle with wanting more. It's a constant issue I'm wrestling with in my heart. I believe in what it is that we're doing here. I believe in the gospel that we preach. And I want to see, and I want you to want to see more. Right? I want to see more people worshiping King Jesus. I want to see more students inviting their friends to KCY on Sunday night and signing up to go on the DR trip. I want to see more kids who are excited about coming to church on Sunday morning because they can make friends and meet Jesus. I want to see more lost people being saved, more baptism, more marriages being strengthened, more addictions being broken, more relationships being formed. I want more Christians equipped to live on mission in the places they live, learn, work, and play every day. I want more of the kingdom breaking into our church and breaking into our community through the people of our church and our city. And, and I feel, and I want you to feel an urgency in that because I think Jesus is worth it. And I think there are people around us who are dying and going to hell. And that's not acceptable to me. But here's my struggle. <laughs> if I'm honest, sometimes in my urgency, I try to get ahead of God. Sometime in my urgency, my heart gets frustrated that I'm not farther along, that we're not farther along. But sometimes in my urgency, I'm not patient. And that's not healthy because of what it says about God. 
Right? Because patience is a posture of the heart. Right? Patience has to do with your interior orientation. So watch this. It's been 14 years since the glorified Jesus appeared to Paul. He hasn't yet met all the apostles. He hasn't started his writing ministry yet. Spoiler alert, that's going to go well. Okay, it's 13 books of the Bible. He hasn't been sent out yet officially on a mission trip by his home church in Antioch. He hasn't planted any churches by the time he's telling this story, any that we know of. And at that point, again, he's looking back and telling the story from previous. He was still under Barnabas's wing. That's patience. That's a heart that trusts God's timing, that trusts God's sovereignty, that trusts God's spirit to do the work necessary to accomplish the mission of God's son. But it's patient urgency. Right? He is not sitting around staring at the sky waiting for Jesus to come back. He's not sitting in a pew in the church and just glad that other people are accomplishing things. He is preaching and learning and praying. He's discipling Titus, verse 1, right? He's going with Barnabas, but he's bringing Titus with him. Paul's faith in Christ allows him the freedom to be both running, in verse 2, and trusting. It's patient urgency. Verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us back into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. It's the second characteristic of people in churches that we see who are set free by the gospel is humble resolve. Humble resolve. Paul and Barnabas have a posture of humility. They take Titus with them as a test case to the apostles whether or not Gentile converts have to follow the law. So it's not you know, a hypothetical academic discussion for them, but they're, Titus is their guy. And they're willing to have the conversation. They're willing to talk and to work out this very serious issue at the very heart of the gospel, not because they have a question about it, but because it would appear that, that there's possibility that other people don't see it the way they do. And they're willing to have that conversation. And so they go, and the apostles say, no, Titus doesn't have to be circumcised. And by extension, the Gentiles don't have to become Jewish to be Christian. They don't have to follow the Mosaic ceremonial law. I think even having the conversation is humble. But they're also resolved. And so they're willing to say, oh, these false brothers, these guys who are coming in and telling you that Jesus isn't enough, that his sacrifice wasn't sufficient for all who would turn to him, that he didn't perfectly fulfill the law on your behalf in your place. We didn't yield to them for a moment. That's resolved. You're not moving me off the spot that I am about Jesus. We're having an application conversation. We're not having a, a gospel theology conversation. Humble resolve. 
Now, here's the problem I think Christians have sometimes. None of us. We're all very holy. But other Christians that I've heard about at other churches, right? Sometimes you're absolutely unshakably resolved on the gospel and its implications and its applications. But they're jerks. You can't talk to them about anything at all. Or they're immature on some issues, but they're too arrogant and prideful to hear that, to learn, and to grow. We've got blind spots, which we all do. (laughs) Yes, they have blind spots, but not the humility to have them pointed out. And look, if that's you, and honestly, if it is, you probably don't think it is, okay? So you probably need to engage with somebody else in your community group discussions this week. Hey, do I have some blind spots? Ask some people that you, that you trust. But if that's you, hear me. God's grace is sufficient for you. I've been there. I've been there since we planted King's Cross. But here's the good news. God's not done with me yet. Amen? God's not done with you yet. God's not done with us yet. Right? So we keep growing. On the other hand, there are some Christians who are so humble in air quotes. That's what they would call themselves. I'm so humble. They don't have any conviction at all. Well, faith is just personal, you know. (laughs) That's the first time that's ever happened. I love that. That's awesome. That's so great. That's so good. Uh, that's why some people need to move to this service. We work out the kinks, right? Um, so I say, they say, so they cloak themselves in humility, but the reality is they don't have any conviction. They say, well, faith is really personal. I mean, who am I to tell you? I mean, it's just my, what's good for me is good for me, you know, and whatever's good for you is good. But, and so every new book, every new YouTube video, every viral trend on social media, they just blowing back and forth and all over the place spiritually because they have any spiritual roots at all. They don't have any resolve on anything. That's not actually humility. That's something on a spectrum between like lack of conviction and just downright cowardice. But when the gospel takes root in your heart and it begins to to conform and transform your mind, then you have the freedom to be humble because you realize that you're still growing, still being sanctified. God's not done with you yet. And you have the freedom to stand firmly resolved on clear gospel issues clear biblical teaching and understand that like not everything's crystal clear. Some things are a straight line. Sometimes it's dashed, right? And we, you have to have the discernment to know the difference in these things. But you can stand resolved on those things because you're not worried about everybody else's opinion. You're not worried about the approval of every person you're talking to because all, all you need is God's approval. And if you're in Christ, you already have it. So you can be humble. So look, you can't die on every hill, nor should you humble. But there are some hills you should die on, gospel hills that you ought to be willing to die on, resolve. Humble resolve. Third characteristic, people in churches set free by the gospel. Adapted preservation. Adapted preservation. 
I'll show you what I mean. We'll pick it back up in verse 5. To them, that's those false brothers that he said, we're not going to yield to them for even a moment. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Again, most likely Peter, James, and John is who he's talking about. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Okay, so here's what's happening. The truth of the gospel is being preserved. There is no compromise that salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And Peter, James, and John recognize that the gospel can be adapted to a Gentile context without being compromised. That's a big deal. These false brothers claimed that the only way for a Gentile to get to God was to become a Jew first. And they say, no, 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 no. We can preserve the essence of the gospel and adapt it. I'll give you a counterexample uh, to this. Um, Islamic theology believes that God revealed the Quran to uh, Allah in Arabic, in Quranic Arabic. And if you translate the Quran into another language, it ceases to be sacred. So by definition, their theologians would say, in order for you to preserve the Quran, you cannot adapt it. Christianity does not believe this. You are here listening to me preach Paul's inspired letter to the Galatians in English because Christians believe in adapted preservation. Our missions council has tables in the lobby today with information on how you can be a part of a mission trip to the Dominican Republic or to India. On those trips, what we do is we come alongside missionaries and church planters who believe in and teach and preach this same gospel we do, faithfully preserved by God and the people of God for thousands of years. Adapted into Spanish and Hindi languages applied to a different people in different contexts, which requires a different way of talking and and thinking through the implications and applications of the gospel without compromising it. You see, adapted preservation. Right now over in KCK, our volunteers are adapting this same gospel teaching in an age-appropriate way for children from birth to fourth grade. Tonight, our student ministry will do that, you see? So here are the guardrails. If you over-adapt the gospel, you lose its essence. Right? You lose the power of its life-saving promises that it contains for all who repent and believe. What you're left with if you over-adapt the gospel is liberalism. It isn't offensive. It attracts a whole bunch of people, but it fails to preserve the truth that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. If you under-adapt the gospel, you lose its effectiveness. You lose the ability to reach people because what you wind up doing is turning non-essentials into barriers. You're left with legalism that either beats people down in despair or puffs them up in pride, but it fails to preserve the good news that God's grace is available to those sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Over-adaption, under-adaption. You want adapted preservation. 
practically speaking, you're going to talk about the gospel with your eight-year-old niece differently than the way you talk about it in your grow group with other adults, which is different than how you're going to engage with an agnostic coworker, which is different from the way that you would love and comfort your neighbor who's dealing with the loss of a loved one, which is different than the conversation you might engage with with someone who's struggling with same-sex attraction. You see? So the gospel is one-size-fits-all theologically, but its application has always required adapted preservation. And that's what's on display here. Keep rolling, verse 7. On the contrary, when they, that's the apostles, saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that just means Gentiles, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, ethnic Jews, for he, worked, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. Who do you think he means there? Jesus. If you're not sure in church, when someone asks a question, <laughs> that's a safe answer, right? And somebody says, no, that was uh, Paul. You say, yeah, but it's Jesus working through Paul. So really, like, <laughs> it means Jesus. When James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Fourth characteristic, people in churches set free by the gospel is unified differentiation. I'll give you a minute to write it down because differentiation is a tough one to spell. <laughs> unified differentiation. Peter, James, and John say to Barnabas, Paul, and Titus, look, we're on the same page about the gospel. Praise God, unity. God called you to go reach the Gentiles. He called us to go reach the Jews. Differentiation. Praise God. Right hand of fellowship. We're in it together. You just got a little bit of a different calling than we do. One of the easiest ways to spot spiritually immature Christians and spiritually immature churches is to look for the ones who think or act or talk like all Christians should be doing the same thing. All churches should be doing the same thing. I'll go back to the lobby. Um, out there, you'll find a table for Lifeline Children's Services. Lifeline serves vulnerable women and children by focusing on adoption and foster care and other related ministries. There's also a table for our fourth at four ministry team. Fourth at four ministry team serves the vulnerable in our city by providing uh, once a month and other churches do the other days of the month, a meal to some of our homeless neighbors downtown. You'll also find a table for water mission. Water Mission serves the vulnerable around the world by providing sustainable, clean water solutions. How ignorant would it be for us to get angry at Lifeline because they weren't putting in water systems? Like, it would just be dumb for us to say to our fourth, fourth at four team, you know, I mean, you're doing some really good stuff, but you really ought to be training people for foster care. No, <laughs> so like unified differentiation. You with me? I think, and I say this um, not to my credit because I'm not the one that's done it. Our uh, Josh and our student staff along the way uh, have done this. But I think that um, we do more for the Phillips Simmons schools than any other church I'm aware of. 
elementary, middle, high school. And I know that we're the only church that has a student ministry on the entire Canehoy Peninsula. Well, praise God for that. That's great. My friend Donnell Hopkins, though, up the road, pastors um, St. Paul's Missionary Baptist up in the front of Nelly Field. Um, they're really active in CAJM, which is Charleston Area Justice Ministries. They do a lot more w- with that than what we do. Grace City Church up on Cosgrove Avenue, Great Gospel Preaching Church, have a huge focus on foster care and adoption ministry. East Cooper Baptist Church uh, over in Mount Pleasant, they do more for international missions, certainly than any church in the city, maybe in the state. Uh, it, it's just unbelievable the amount of money that they're able to give away around the world. Praise God for that. I and mean, we could just go church by church by church all around the city. You find churches that are preaching the gospel. And I'm not talking about people who aren't preaching the gospel right. But you just find they're all going to have uh, differentiated passions and resources and ministries and struggles and successes. Well, praise God for that. If we're unified in the gospel, th- that's great. This is why I try really, really hard not to ever say anything negative about another church that's preaching the gospel. Now, I'm quick. If somebody's twisting the gospel, like Paul, I'll call them out. No problem. We've had people who come to us and say, I hear I'm moving. I think I'm going to, and Josh and I will say, do not go to that church. That's a false gospel. It's like, I got no problem with that. But if somebody's preaching the gospel, look, man, as outposts of the kingdom, we are unified in our role as ambassadors for King Jesus, even if he has called and sent us in differentiated ways for some given season, right? This is why you shouldn't get all weird and offended if your particular passion or calling isn't equally shared by every Christian you know. And sometimes people just get all twisted up by this. Well, I don't understand why everybody doesn't donate an OCC box. Christmas time, right? It's a table for that in the lobby too. Well, maybe they've adopted uh, and sponsored children through Compassion International. And you just don't know it. Right? Well, you know, I, I think every church should be active in their local schools. Well, I can tell you from personal experience that there are some schools you cannot get in the door. Doesn't matter how, like, they don't give access to churches, Period. So it may not be that the church doesn't love the school. It might be that they can't get in. Well, I understand how come that church, or more likely, I understand how come my church, <laughs> why don't we do more with poverty relief or racial reconciliation, campus ministry or singles ministry, church planting or international missions, VBS or children's choir, like whatever the thing is that you are particularly passionate about. Like, hey, man, it's a big kingdom, Every church can't do everything in every season. By God's grace, I was talking with Matt Reagan uh, yesterday. You all know Matt um, preached for us. He runs Campus Outreach over at East Cooper Baptist. I was talking with him yesterday in the lobby. They were here doing some lifeline training. and um, Matt said, yeah, we're in the process of having an emphasis on foster care. Well, praise the Lord. That's great. In the past, that hasn't really been an emphasis. But it doesn't mean their church is doing anything wrong. It just means, hey, man, we're, we're like we grow in these things in different seasons. And You with me? But every church and every Christian should do something. (laughs) Doing nothing is not an option. And so we extend the right hand of fellowship, verse 9, and encourage and celebrate and thank God for the unified differentiation that is on display in the gifts, callings, passions, and pursuits of God's people and his church. And praise God for that. Last one, quickly, verse 10. Only they ask us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do. Fifth characteristic, 
eager cooperation. Eager cooperation. There are some things that all Christians and all churches ought to do. There are some things that all Christians and all churches should care about. You should care about the poor. You should care about injustice. There are, like, there are some things that are so fundamental. Every Christian in every church should care about Peter, James, and John want to make sure that Barnabas and Paul and Titus don't forget the practical needs of the people they're trying to reach. There are also, um, this is quite possible, there's a famine happening in Jerusalem at this time. And so uh, it's quite possible that the poor that they're talking about are other believers who are ethnically Jewish and in Jerusalem. And so one way or the other, the point that they're making is the gospel necessarily includes both words and deeds. It's both. And usually what will happen when you talk to believers, and this is true of me as well, is that we, we tend to fall one way or the other. We really love words and we struggle a little bit with the deeds or we really love the deeds. We're not 100% sure what we believe. Right, but our Lord's brother in James 2.17 said that faith without works is dead. So look, if you do all kinds of good works, you're super generous, you're super moral, you're super kind to everybody everywhere all the time, great, praise God for that. Awesome. Right? We should all live more like Jesus. But you need to understand that no one is ever going to be convicted of their sin, marvel at the substitutionary life, death of Jesus, believe in his victorious resurrection, repent, and be born again by the grace of God through faith in Christ because you don't cuss and adopt puppies. Brother, not coming to faith because you're a good person. Invite them to church. Talk to them about the gospel. You have to do more than just be a good person. Right? And if you're someone who's super into, you know, you like leave tracks under all your neighbor's windshield wipers and you share your testimony every time you go out to eat with the waitress and, you know, you already picked up 32 of our Easter invite cards and you're just going to be giving them out like candy at Halloween. Great. Like, praise God for that. Right? Don't leave tracks on your neighbor's windshields. That's weird. Don't praise God for that. <laughs> Repent of that and learn to share the gospel with people that you're close to. But if that's you, you got to do more than just talk. Right? Like you need to get involved in local outreach ministries. Maybe if you're so good at talking to people about faith, you should sign up to be on one of our international mission teams so you could stretch yourself by learning what it looks like to share the gospel in another context. Maybe you should sign up to serve so that you don't just talk to other people all the time about what they should do, but you're actually getting involved in actually doing the work of the ministry. So those who are set free by the gospel are sent by Jesus into both word and deed ministries. We should be eager to cooperate with one another and with other churches in that. So we're going to pray, uh, and then we're going to sing. And then I want you to spend some time uh, seeing what God is doing through our church and asking him uh, to show you how you can be involved. Okay, bow your heads with me and, um, and let's pray together.
Father, would you help us by the power of your spirit to rest patiently in you? Would you help me to do that more in the season ahead than I have in the season behind? But would you also help us to own the urgency of the mission? Would you help us to be humble enough to be teachable, but to never lose our resolve on the issues about which your word is clear? Would you help us as a faith family to be a church that faithfully preserves the gospel for our neighbors and for future generations, but is willing always to adapt our ministries and our methods to reach them and love them well? Spirit, make us a people unified by our faith in Christ, unified by your indwelling presence in us, but also a people that celebrate differentiation, where we see it in other churches and other people and other believers, that we might praise God for their callings and gifts and passions. And Father, would you move us as individuals and as a church to have hearts that are not just willing, but are eager to cooperate for the sake of your name, in which we pray. Amen. My name's Josh. I'm the associate pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Take a moment to subscribe, and you'll get each week's message automatically. We invite you to join us as we grow in the gospel, connect in community, and live on mission. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.